Ray Montgomery. I'd like to welcome you guys to the Navigating Blindness podcast. And on today's show, we're talking to orientation and mobility experts about how they train individuals who are blind and visually impaired to travel independently throughout their community and throughout the country, I would say. So today I have Bianca Jarena. How you doing, Bianca? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. And I have Jared Woodart. How you doing, Jared? Good, Ray. Good. All right. And I really wanted to talk to you guys because you guys do a lot of training at our Center for Visionary Solutions for the Blind, training newly blinded individuals how to, you know, use a white cane, travel independently from their home to work or to school or wherever it may be, and really how to be independent. And I really wanted to, you know, talk to you guys just really about the purpose of the white cane and just really get your guys' thoughts on how you guys are um, helping individuals who are blind and visually impaired, you know, live the life they want. So, uh, Bianca, I'm going to start with you. How long have you been an orientation and mobility instructor? I have been an orientation mobility instructor for about five years. Okay. And, Jared, how long have you been in the field? Um, just over two and a half, not quite three. Okay. So, um, to become a orient orientation and mobility instructor, what does an individual need to do? What type of training, education do they need to acquire to uh, be an um, O&M instructor? Bianca? Well, I went to Western Michigan um, University and I believe Jared did too. And I attended the accelerated program in which I um, received a master's in orientation mobility. Um, two semesters and then the internship and I think Jared completed his online they have an online option as well um, but yeah it it was a, a lot of work um, pretty intense uh, workload um, we do have to travel um, while we're learning the skills in which we teach we do have to travel under blindfold as well and learn the different techniques in that that fashion yeah, I did go to Western Michigan, um, and it was kind of like working full-time with Bosma uh, as itinerant teacher um, in people's homes, but like with daily living skills, uh, and then I had to go up on campus for six weeks um, to do accelerated like six classes during that week. I mean, those weeks, uh, and like Bianca said, I think we had to be under the blindfold, was it 60 hours, Bianca, mm -hmm. I think that we had to do under the blindfold training? Yeah, and Jared and I both had the same instructor, and he was pretty big about giving us as much time as possible under the blindfold so we can understand what our clients are going through emotionally and understand how to work through those problems with them. So what type of uh, emotions did it spark being under a sleep shade blindfold for you guys? Uh, for me, I would have to say the unknown of uh, the fear of going somewhere that I didn't want to go. I, I think the first time I did an indoor travel, the first week I, I may have snatched up a lady's um, purse with my cane and didn't even realize what happened. Um, but the first time I walked across a six lane intersection, I felt like I was running. And I remember hitting that curb so hard that it, it really threw me off. But you know, once I got over that feeling, like, okay, I can do this, it's it's like I kept conquering um, little battles, little by little. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Definitely. Um, nerve wracking would be a word. <laughs> uh, like when I, like I was used to being under the blindfold cause I, uh, my dad has retinitis pigmentosa. And so he's been blind my whole life and plays a sport called beat baseball where, um, I would put on a blindfold and mess around with that. But when you put on a blindfold, uh, in the hands of cane, uh, then you get close to like, like Bianca was saying, like a, a six lane intersection, you know, uh, hearing that traffic noise, how close it was, um, it's very nerve wracking. And I think that, that kind of, we, we experience the same thing with clients when they first get near it. Um, whereas when our training continued, you get more comfortable with the traffic noise and it's actually kind of reassuring in a way by the time that the program's done. So, um, definitely the unknown and, and hearing how close the traffic is, uh, it, it can be stressful. Oh yeah. I, I can attest to that because, um, I'm, had to experience that traveling uh, across highways and things of that nature and just trying to get across the street. Sometimes you lose your focus. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just want to get across that street so fast that you forget about those techniques that you guys teach. So, um, yeah, it's definitely nerve wracking at times, you know, trying to cross those streets. So, but um, let's jump back into it. So far with the white cane, what does the white cane symbolize? Cause a lot of people may not know when you're traveling independently, even in 2021, what is the white cane? What does that symbolize? Uh, so can you guys tell me from your perspective, what does the white cane symbolize? And what should people be um, cautious of when they see someone walking with a uh, white cane? I would have to, for me, I would have to say it symbolizes um, independence, but it also identifies the individual as um, visually impaired or blind. Uh, just that's a stigma of the, bl- of the cane that everybody is blind. But we all know that, you know, it, most people are just visually impaired and use the white cane to de- detect obstacles, drop-offs, and different things. Um, but most of all, I think the white cane provides people with the independence to actually, you know, travel within their home area or out and about again and just have that freedom. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um for our clients, it's, it's definitely uh, signifies independence, um, especially when someone who is newly blind um, or, you know, I, I experienced a, a lot of students who were going through the O&M program with me who once they put that blindfold on, uh, you're hesitant to even take steps. You know, you, you walk half as fast and you're extra cautious and hands are out and you don't want to run into anything. And, and so when you hand them a cane and, and teach them how to use it, um, then, you know, that confidence grows. Uh, and also kind of what Bianca touched on it with, uh, you know, the general public kind of viewing it as, oh, you're blind or not blind, even though like 80% of people who are blind actually have some vision. Um, another colleague of ours, Mary, uh, she always says, you know, when she's talking to her clients that it basically, it can buy you courtesy. So when you're like in a, a shopping mall or something, I think that uh, a lot of people who are losing their vision get uncomfortable by either bumping into objects or even people. Um, and so just having the cane in general alerts others, Hey, I, you know, I have some issues with my vision and then it, it just buys kindness really and courtesy from the general public. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I know I've bumped in a lot of things. Sometimes it was just a, a cart. So <laughs> I said, excuse me to a lot of things in the store, <laughs> but um, yeah. So um, talk to me about that, the different cane techniques that are used to travel independently by people who are blind or visually impaired. Wow, there's a lot of them. Um, 
We like to teach them every single cane technique they can have. It's just so they can have more tools in their toolbox. Uh, but uh, of course we teach pre-cane techniques, techniques you can use without a cane. Um, but then we teach them diagonal technique, um, which that's only to be used in familiar areas. Uh, you have constant contact, uh, two-point touch, um, touch and drag, uh, um, three-point touch for veer recovery. There's so many techniques. And of course, they're all used in um, different environments, um, different settings. And, and honestly, some people prefer constant contact, but then others prefer two-point touch. It's honestly a preference of what you, you like, uh, but they both have the same benefit um, of just helping you travel. Uh, we just teach all our clients all the different techniques, again, for their toolbox, just so they can use whatever one they would like in certain situations. Yeah, and, and you pretty much cover the techniques and, and really kind of what, what all the different, you know, whether it's constant contact or two-point touch or, or what have you, um, it's really all about clearing the, the space that you plan to walk through, right, to make sure that mm-hmm. it's safe. So um, all the different cane techniques, that's their goal, whether it's to identify a landmark or something. Um, all of them are really to either clear the space in front of you or to identify a familiar object. Mm-hmm. And another big technique is it's stairs. I've had so many clients that have stated, I've fallen downstairs. But if they had this cane technique yeah. to go up and down stairs, it, it would have saved them the headache. And I've seen people have the fear of going up and down stairs to confidently walk in the stairs. Like, there's no problem at all when once they have that cane in their hand. Yeah. Once you get that cane technique down, there's no problem. I could... Go back to one of my first O&M lessons was going up up and down the escalator. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, at first it was tricky, but once I got that technique down and I, you know, found that rail before I took my first step, I think that's key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't want to fall down the escalator. So, uh, definitely. So, talk to me about the length and how important it is to have a appropriate cane length when you're traveling and because a lot of people, you know, sometimes have a cane that may be too short, it may be too long. So how does that help you travel um, independently and walk a straight line? Uh, for me, I, I like to have uh, a cane length for a client, depending on their walking speed as well. Um, if I, I think they don't walk fast, then I'll go right to their sternum or a little bit above. If I think I have a pretty quick person, I might go even two inches above than what I really recommend. Um, but honestly, the cane leaf is important for drop-offs, detecting obstacles, giving you that time to be able to stop. A, a lot of it has to do with like the height um, and where you're going to measure on their body and then their walking speed. And, um, and also, like you mentioned, um, detecting obstacles and, and drop-offs and, and kind of like their reaction time. You know, even if someone's a mm-hmm. slow walker, but their reaction time is slow too, then it might make sense for them to have a, a longer cane um, than you would normally recommend for someone their height. So, so really kind of their walking speed, their reaction time, mm-hmm. um, are, are kind of the two main factors on, as well as their height about what size a, a link cane they need. So if a person is about six, two or, you know, six, three, what, how long should their cane be? Mm. Well, like, like Bianca said, it's typically in between like the sternum, the, the armpit. I, I know some people who like it as high as their, mm-hmm. their chin or even higher. Um, 
I would guess Ray, like at, at six, two, I mean, I'm like five, eight and I use like a 56 inch cane. Um, so, you know, you add like four inches, probably 60, 62 inch yeah. cane. Um, I was thinking 60 as well. And I thought about something else. I've had a client before that he had a 56, he was six, one, six, two, and he had a slouch and he would always veer. So I like to sometimes go a little bit higher to correct their posture within which would then help with their alignment. So that's another thing to think about. Yeah, I'm six two, so I use about a fifty-eight right now. So keep me from from not running into things. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. So I mean it comes in handy. And I know so a lot of people once they get a cane for the first time, because we work with a lot of newly blinded individuals. So when they get a cane for the first time, uh, are they hesitant to use it? Are they uh, shameful? I mean, what are some of their um, thoughts or feelings going through their minds? It's yeah. different for each client. Some of them are hesitant. Um, some of them are more than willing to accept it. Uh, it's They're very scared of the stigma of them not being able to do anything. And we don't want them to do that. But I have a client here now that when he walked through the door, he took baby steps everywhere he go, he, everywhere he went. And then the first day I gave him a cane, it, he's now my fastest traveler. I, I look like I'm running behind him. So it's amazing to see what a cane, like the difference it can make for someone. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. Like I, uh, what you just said about it. Um, some not wanting that, that stigma, you know, it's just like, um, some people who might have a medical condition who, who don't want others to know, so they don't treat them differently. Um, when we talked about what the, the cane symbolizes, um, and it being independence and, and vision loss, obviously, um, but also some, some, I hear clients, you know, say, uh, it, for instance, I, I do itinerant own him, um, where I, go out to someone's home area and work with them, um, whether it be around just their home, uh, a new college campus, their workplace. Um, but I've had clients who have literally said that like, they don't want to work in their neighborhood because they don't want everyone else to see them with the cane. Um, cause maybe they feel like it isn't that safe of a neighborhood and it makes them feel vulnerable. Um, like as if, you know, someone might take advantage of them because they, they know they have vision problems. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've had several clients feel that way, uh, but I always tell them that in my experience as an instructor and as, as someone who has family and uh, friends who, you know, use a cane or a guide dog, that from my experience, uh, the majority, the, the vast majority of people in the general public that I see in their reaction is more um, kind and offering assistance and um, almost annoyingly so, I always say, uh, to, to try to offer assistance to someone and and very helpful, really, opposed to, oh, there's a, a someone I can take advantage of. Mm -hmm. I have to agree on that. So um, you guys also train individuals on how to, you know, take the bus, how to get back and forth, you know, to work and how to, you know, ask for help when they're at the grocery store. So could you walk me through how a person who was blind or visually impaired was actually you know, take the bus or even, you know, go to the grocery store when it's that time and what should they do to prepare themselves from going, you know, to the store and to, uh, you know, different appointments. How would they prepare themselves? Um, something I always teach our clients is, especially for the grocery store, depending on time of day, when are they able to 
help you the most and more than likely it's in the morning, a day they're not stalking, um, but just giving them a heads up, asking them the question of um, when is the best time for me to come? When I come at this certain time, can somebody help me? Um, where is this customer, where is this customer service located? Um, just getting a name of his so-and-so there to help me and just becoming familiar with that grocery store and just planning your route, providing a list um, before you go. So then it's just an easier process, especially in this trying time. Uh, it's just easier to have everything set up or even doing a click list and becoming familiar with everybody there. And it's very helpful. So pretty much calling ahead, making sure that you have a list together and know what you want. And how important is it like checking the items before you, they actually put them in the cart? I would say check them, uh, especially, I don't know about you guys, but we don't like dented um, cans. Right. Sometimes they might just grab the first can, not thinking that, hey, it's dented. I shouldn't put this in there out of courtesy. So it's okay to say, hey, can I check that out? Because you're ultimately, you're the one buying the groceries. Right. So you still want to mm -hmm. check your items. Definitely. Yeah, and especially with uh, like order ahead or click list or deliver or anything like that, um, making sure if you don't want them to substitute a different brand, <laughs> to not have substitutes, you know, in there because they might be out of an item and and they'll replace it with an off brand or even uh, a different product. So, just being sure of that too. Yeah. So, what about um, you know traveling on the city bus? How would an individual who is blind, visually impaired, you know, prepare themselves to travel on a city bus? And how would they know what stops to get off on and things of that nature? I was just going to say uh, that, that, you know, there's, there's several um, different apps um, like Transit and I think Move It's one. And then also just your Apple Maps um, even has the Transit now. Um, but also, again, uh, not necessarily calling ahead, but like when you are going to get on a bus, you know, double checking, hey, is this the, the correct bus number? Um, is this where you are going? Like if, if you're going down to the transit center in downtown, asking them and making sure um, that you are in fact getting on the right bus. Uh, and then there's, there's also apps such as like uh, Blind Square or Nearby Explorer that, that can kind of give you information about your surroundings. Oh, you're crossing 71st Street now or um, tell you about the upcoming intersection or surrounding businesses and familiarizing yourself with those. Um, so you know, hey, and my stop's coming up, or if you hear something else, you you know that you've passed your stop. Okay. Bianca, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, he pretty much touched on it. Uh, but of course, Blind Square, there's different applications, and every application, GPS, works for different people. Some people may like Blind Square, that's only accessible on iPhones, and some people may prefer Google Maps. They're both great apps to use. And the nice thing with either Google Maps, um, it was Google Maps, at least. Uh, you can plan a route, uh, even the transit center, if you planned a route to the transit center downtown, it'll tell you what bay you're going to, which is really nice. And, and if you use Blind Square, Blind Square actually uses a third party app, such as Google Maps or Apple Maps, um, to help you plan that route out. And uh, so it's just uh, nice to have those different applications that can, you can use um, to help you navigate. Yeah, definitely, because I definitely know when I travel, I definitely use like Apple and, you know, they give you walking directions. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to take a walk around your block, you can put in your address to a, to the other address. So it helps you, you know, navigate that way. Blind Square, definitely. Um, There's definitely another 
key app right there. Uh, what about like um, apps like Ira that are used at the airport and have a uh, live agent that can help you navigate? Um, have you guys had an experience with Ira? I've had great experiences with Ira. Um, of course, uh, it's nice in the airport because it, it is free, at least for Indianapolis. There are some in, some airports here in the U.S. that is a free service. Um, I believe it's also free at Walgreens. Um, but it, the, the thing about Ira is it is a monthly um, cost, mm -hmm. but they do have a free, I believe it's five minutes for people to use um, use it. But I've had a client who picked a CD out of a a um, one of her collections to play her wedding song for a dance night with her husband and surprised her. So that's where Ira can really help you in the moment, help you quickly find something and, and that you would not have been able to do with your vision. Yeah. Well, definitely uh, technology is great. I mean, definitely having that ability to, you know, track where you're at and know where you're at at any given time is great. But once again, it goes back to having those proper cane techniques so you can actually figure out, sometimes you have to, you know, figure out things on your own. You have to know where you're going with the curbs coming, dead end, and things of that nature. So definitely you guys come in and play a key role on helping people, you know, navigate their surroundings, uh, which is great. So how do you get a person who is blind or visually impaired or, excuse me, newly blinded to, you know, get over their fears of traveling independently? But they come with time or baby steps. You start indoors, build that trust, build that rapport. So that when you go outside, they trust you. Mm -hmm. um, and then you start going to residential, start doing stuff like that. There's not as much traffic there, at least, you know, where we like to travel. So you can just get used to traveling outside, listening to the different sounds and then going slowly into semi-business where you start getting that traffic. Um, but it's just little baby steps to build up into that. We don't, first day, let's go downtown. No, wow, that's too much. Anxiety's building up. I would even be anxious because I'd be scared for you. I just, I wanna build their confidence and I wanna build that trust before we really jump out there. Yeah, Bianca, and this actually reminds me of uh, you mentioned our, the, our under the blindfold instructor was the same. And a phrase he used to always say was uh, more walk, less talk. And, <laughs> yeah. and like, like Ray, like you said, it's, it's really like the time and the practice and putting that in. Um, and, and the more that, you know, you're out walking around, the more comfortable you become. Um, and, and, you know, you, you mentioned like the, the technology is helpful and, and it really comes down to cane techniques and something that we, we haven't really touched on yet is, is also, um, you know, when, when someone who has just lost their vision comes to the center or comes to Bosma, uh, and we're working with them, it isn't just like, Oh, we're going to give you this pre cane technique or, um, here's how you use the cane. It's also just learning really how you assess your, I mean, assess your environment now. Um, and it, it becomes tactile, it becomes auditory. And so really training people, not just to use the cane, but also to use their hearing and pay attention to their surroundings and, and what information they can get from sounds as well as, uh, you know, what they're feeling with their hands or their feet. And, and so tactically and hearing, um, along with, with the cane and the techniques and the technology all together. Mm -hmm. Because I know when you're traveling, uh, you know, crossing the street, so you travel with 
you travel with the uh, traffic, right? Is that correct? When the person is crossing the street? With your parallel traffic, yeah. Parallel traffic, okay. Mm -hmm. So talk to, well, before I get you guys out of here, talk to me about the different um, styles of canes that are out there and available and um, what are the most common canes used by people who are blind or visually impaired? All right, there's a lot, there's a lot. Of course, you got the NFB cane, which is the rigid. Um, it's pretty light. I actually yeah. trained with that cane with a metal glide tip. Uh, the, but on a nice windy day, it's not the friendliest. Um, they also, also do have, uh-huh, <laughs> you can't fold it, it's straight, but they do have the folding version, yes. um, but it's, it's harder to find because they prefer the rigid cane, yes. which is not a bad option. It's a great cane. Um, you also have the revolution canes mm -hmm. and you have the Ambutech canes. So what are the difference? It's just kind of like the style of the joints, yes. um, where the canes connect. And of course you have the push on tips. Um, for the Rev Revolution, whereas the Ambutech now offers the hook-on tips, and they offer um, the Ambutech, they offer the graphite, the lunium, and there's a lot. There's different tips you can use. It's their preference of what they like. Some people like lighter canes. Some people really like heavier canes. So do you guys train with the rolling tip, or are you train without the tip? Because I find that the tip actually helps you travel a little bit more freely, especially on sidewalks. They don't, the cane doesn't get, you know, trapped in the cracks and things like that. So do you guys have a preference? Yeah. Um, typically like standard uh, cane, I think that, that we kind of give comes with the rolling marshmallow tip. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also like a rolling ball tip, a rolling disc tip. Uh, then there's just your typical marshmallow tip, your, your um, typical like pencil tip that don't roll. Uh, and I think it really, like Bianca said, comes down to the individual preference and also kind of the, the individual's own environment. So, um, for instance, we have people who come to the center who um, may live out in the country uh, in southern Indiana. And so they don't really have sidewalks um, or lighted intersections. And so if they're going to be traveling a lot on like gravel roads or on uh, just the side of a road, like a rural street, um, maybe they, they prefer like a, a rolling ball tip over a, you know, a rolling marshmallow tip. And so it all feels differently. Like you said, Ray, where the tips give different feedback, um, just as well as the folding cane compared to a rigid cane. Um, in my experience, I felt the rigid cane gave me a lot of feedback. Um, however, you know, someone might not like that if they're in and out of cars all the time, maybe they prefer a roll. I mean, a folding cane simply because, it's more convenient to fold up and, and, you know, put in a bag or put under your leg or something. Mm -hmm. And of course you have the different amount of joints you can have. You can have as less as four all the way to seven. Of course, the more joints you have, the smaller your cane can fold. Okay. Well, I prefer the collapsible cane, but I like that telescope cane actually. It's oh yeah. Slide up and boom. Yeah. I forgot about the telescope cane. That's a really good one too. Um, I traveled it with it one time and, I hit one crack and yeah. there went my cane. Yeah, not good for outside usage though. No. Of a fashion, no both. <laughs> mm -hmm. Inside cane, but yes. Cool. Well, well, once again, I want to thank you guys for, you know, giving us all this great information and telling us how you teach individuals who are blind and visually impaired, you know, to travel independently and with freedom and confidence at the end of the day, because once you get that confidence to travel with that cane, you know, sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. So once again, I want to thank you guys. And if you guys want to learn more about orientation and mobility, please 
visit us on the web at www.bosman.org. Make sure you're following us on all social media channels. And definitely subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. And guys, once again, I want to thank you. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.